We're in this great series on the sayings of Jesus and what could be more important than studying what Jesus said and applying those things to our lives. We have a great study today and the topic of the study is forgiveness. Jesus had quite a bit to say about forgiveness. Um, but let's back up just a little bit. Forgiveness was something that was not foreign to the Bible. Um, forgiveness is something that God um, describes um, of himself. And I'd like you to take a look at Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. And uh, he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, and this is the Lord speaking, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And so when God was describing himself to Moses, he described himself as a God of forgiveness. Think about the sacrifices of the Old Testament that God ordained for Israel. Um, the sacrifices were all about forgiveness. They were a means of the Israelites who had sinned of receiving forgiveness from the Lord. And they were, of course, a precursor to what Jesus would do once and for all with his one sacrifice of himself for sin for all time. And so uh, the sacrifices pointed to God's forgiving nature. Uh, look at Psalm 103 for just a minute. Psalm 103, and we'll, we'll take verse 1 and then verse 3. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. And so the, the psalmist describes God as a forgiving God. I'd like you to think about uh, three uh, situations in the Old Testament that, again, point to God's forgiveness. The first involves Ahab. King Ahab was arguably one of the worst and most wicked kings of the Old Testament. And um, God had pronounced severe judgment on him after he had overseen the death of an innocent man by the name of Naboth for his own selfish ends so that he could have his vineyard. And God, in pronouncing the judgment on Ahab, Ahab took the, the uh, judgment um, to heart and he repented and he humbled himself. And because of his repentance and humbling of himself, God decided not to do the, uh, the punishment that he had pronounced for Ahab. It's an indication of how willing God is to forgive even the most evil man. Um, another person like that would be Manasseh, King Manasseh of Judah. Uh, again, one of the worst, if not the worst king of Judah. Um, responsible for innocent deaths, um, responsible for leading the Judah astray in terms of their worship. And yet, when he was taken captive, um, his heart was, was changed. And he began to repent and he humbled himself and sought the Lord and God um, relented on the evil that he was going to bring on Manasseh. One more situation. 
this is a famous one for many of us because we all know the story of Jonah and how God sent him to pronounce judgment on Nineveh. And Jonah didn't want to go because he knew God to be a forgiving God. And he was afraid that if he went and pronounced judgment on them, that they would repent and God would relent and not, not go through with the judgment that he had in mind for them. And that's exactly what happened. When Jonah finally submitted to the Lord and went to Nineveh and preached destruction, they did repent. And God did relent, and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had planned. And so these are just examples from the Old Testament of how God um, is a forgiving God. Jesus also was a forgiving Savior. And uh, I just want to remind you of some situations in his life that point out uh, the forgiving nature that he had. Do you remember the woman that was caught in adultery and was brought to him as he was teaching and kind of flung in front of him? And then these men standing around with stones in hand, um, they're saying this woman was caught in adultery and our law says that she should be stoned. What do you say? And you remember the story how he knelt down and with his finger began drawing in the sand. And then he said the words, Whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And he resumed drawing in the sand. And you, you can hear the stones dropping in the circle around him and people leaving. And he looks up and the only people that are left are the woman and himself. And he says, where are your accusers? And she said, they're not here, Lord. And he said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It was a great act of forgiveness on Jesus' part. Also, I think of the woman who came to Jesus in the home of Simon the Pharisee. This is described in Luke chapter 7. And uh, she is described in the story as a, a sinful woman and was known to be sinful by the people of the, the village or town where she lived. And uh, as Jesus was eating at the meal and in the, in the custom of that uh, part of the country or that part of the world, he was stretched out on a, a couch, a low couch, leaning up to the table and his feet were behind him. She stood by his feet during the meal and wept and her tears fell on his feet and she wiped his feet with her hair. And she had very expensive perfume that she opened up and she poured on his feet. And, uh, of course, everybody was aghast that he would allow this sinful woman to do that. And he, he used it as a teaching opportunity. And he closed the teaching by saying, woman, your sins are forgiven. And uh, it just shows that uh, Jesus had a forgiving heart and a forgiving nature because, obviously, he's God's son. And God has the same kind of heart. Um, I think of <clears throat> when Jesus was brought to the, the place of the cross and as the soldiers were nailing him to the cross, his words in Luke, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And then as he's on the cross and there's a thief off to one side who obviously deserves to be there. 
And he calls over to Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Um, an act of faith on his part that Jesus indeed was God's son. And Jesus calls back to him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. And so uh, Jesus had this uh, forgiving nature. No surprise then that um, he taught about forgiveness. And I'd like you to look with me at Matthew 6, verse 12. This is part of um, the Lord's Prayer as we know it. And uh, in this section of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so in this model for prayer, Jesus is encouraging us to adopt the same kind of spirit that he and his father had, a forgiveness towards people that um, have wronged us or owe us in some way. Later on, uh, just a, a few verses later, he talks about this again after this model prayer is over. And he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And so um, he makes he makes forgiveness a condition for forgiveness. Do you understand what I'm saying? Forgiving others then is a condition for you being forgiven or for me being forgiven. And uh, that's, a, um, that's a strong, very um, alarming teaching and one that causes many of us to uh, grab an extra breath because um, we're not, always prepared for that. We've not always been thinking that way, but that's the way Jesus thinks. If you're not willing to forgive, then don't expect me and my father to forgive either. One more thing, and that is um, in relation to answered prayer, and I'd like to go to Mark chapter 11 for this one. Jesus has just talked about um, the amazing things that can be accomplished through prayer when there's faith. And then he closes that small little section on, on prayer and on faith with these words. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So Jesus is, is saying, and I, I believe implying here that if you want your prayers answered, be prepared to forgive. If you're holding unforgiveness in your heart, don't expect to have your prayers answered. Well, that brings us to perhaps Jesus' strongest teaching on forgiveness, even more so than what we just talked about. And it's a parable. It's in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. And I'd like for you to join me there. We'll begin by uh, reading together the first couple of verses, and then we'll stop for just a minute. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. You see, at this point, Peter is thinking, um, probably he has a situation in mind, is my guess. And perhaps he's gone... Um, way beyond what he thought would be 
um, expected. Maybe he's forgiven two or three times or maybe four. And he's um, thinking, I can at least, I could do seven. And so he offers that number. And Jesus, again, blows out conventional thinking and says, I tell you not seven, but 77. And you know, who's going to count after 67 or way less? Um, So he, he makes it out of reach almost. And then he tells this parable. Um, A very interesting parable. Let's read together. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. And I'd like for us to stop here for just a minute. We need to talk about several things. First of all, let's go back to verse 24 for just a minute. So the king began to settle his... um, Uh, accounts with his servants. And there was a man who owed him 10,000 talents of gold. All my life, I've I've read this parable and never thought about what would 10,000 talents of gold be equivalent to. And fortunately, the uh, editors of the NIV have helped us out with Uh, footnotes that have given us uh, some accurate information about uh, that fact. And I've verified this in some other sources as well. A talent of gold, talent would be a weight of gold, was worth about 20 years of a day laborer's wages. Let's, Let's say that again. A talent of gold, one talent, would be worth... 20 years of a day laborer's wages. Now, if you multiply 20 years times 10,000, what do you come up with? 200,000. So Jesus is making a comparison and saying, this man owed 200,000 years of a day laborer's wages. That's an impossible amount. Nobody can pay that back. Nobody at that time could have paid that back. It was out of reach, totally out of reach. Jesus knew that, and he was was, um, using that figure for a reason. And if we could just stop for a minute. Is it possible for us to repay our sins to Jesus, to God? Could you pay for your sin to him? It would be like the person in the story paying back 10,000 talents of gold. It's an impossibility. And we can't pay for our sins. You know what the price of our sins was? Jesus, the Son of God, his death, his blood was the price for our sins. It's priceless. There's no 
paying for that. There's no way that we could pay back that debt. And so uh, Jesus uses an impossible um, payment. And uh, the man gets on his knees and says, give me time, I'll pay back everything. He doesn't want to be sold along with his wife and children and to work at common daily labor until they could pay back the debt. They could never pay it back. 200,000 years? Uh, Never. And so um, that's the interesting part of the story right up front. So this servant, because of the impossible debt that he had, the king forgave him his debt. Um, He blew right past the servant's argument that, oh, give me time and I'll pay it back. You couldn't pay that back. It's a huge debt. And uh, I think Jesus on purpose, put it out of reach. Um, He just made it uh, ridiculously large in the story that he was telling. And he also was very purposeful in this part of the story. And let's read it. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. Let's talk about what a silver coin was in that day. Probably what he's talking about is what's called a denarius. A denarius was a a silver coin that would have represented a day's wages. And so uh, he found someone that owed him a hundred coins or a hundred days wage. Uh, Compare that with 200,000 years (laughs) of debt. For a day day laborer, there's no comparison. The the comparison in debt is ridiculous. But he grabs this man. Let's read it, verse 28. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Verse 29. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. He says the very same thing that this man had said to the king. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Let's continue to read. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy? On your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Remember, these are the words of Jesus. Let's talk about what he said and what they mean to us. Obviously, Jesus is making a comparison in what he has forgiven us, which was, uh, from the father's standpoint, the price of his son, the death of his son. From Jesus' standpoint, the giving of his own life and his own blood for us. That's what he was willing to pay so that we could be forgiven. Have we been wronged by somebody? We've all been wronged by somebody. 
and some of us perhaps very deeply wounded in either in many ways, emotionally, physically, materially, relationally. And so um, we have the opportunity of forgiving or not forgiving. The comparison of the person who has wronged you in comparison to what Jesus paid to have you forgiven and to have me forgiven is like that of the man that the king forgave, the 10,000 talents of gold compared to a hundred denarii. There's no comparison. And God is, Jesus is making the point. He's making the point that it's wrong for us to think that we should be forgiven the huge debt that we owe and not forgive someone a much lesser debt who is in debt to us. Let me ask you this. Who should we forgive? I would say the answer to that question is anyone who has wronged us, whether real or perceived. Sometimes the wrong that's done is only perceived. We've allowed our minds to build things up and uh, they're, they're not based in reality. Other times there's very definite reality and very definite wrong that's been done. The problem is when we don't forgive, we're taking on things that only God has, um, has authority over. And he has decided to um, be Lord in certain realms. And one is in the realm of revenge. I'd like for you to look at a scripture in Romans 12, verse 19. Paul says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, and this is from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, and God is speaking. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So when it comes to revenge, God has said to us, he said, that's something you won't need to worry about. I'll take care of all revenge. And your job is to forgive. And you're saying, I'd much rather take care of revenge and let God do the forgiving. I know that. And there are times when I feel that way too. But God has, um, has set boundaries. And he said, no. He said, I'll take care of revenge because my revenge will be fair and it will be merciful, it will be just, and it will be righteous in the way it's administered. Another thing that God has made clear, and, and that is that um, when it comes to judging, that's something that he's reserved for himself, and he's not given us the prerogative to judge our neighbor. Let's look at James chapter 4 for this um, passage. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. We're talking about God. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And so God has reserved judging for himself. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't evaluate if um, somebody's action is beneficial or not. But in terms of um, 
pronouncing a sort of judgment on a person, that's something that God has reserved for himself. God is saying to us, your job is to forgive. My job is to exact um, punishment, revenge, judgment. I'll take care of that part. You forgive. Should we, should we withhold forgiveness if there's no repentance? I think there's a, a good answer to that, and that's that God certainly does that, but that's not something that he's given us the prerogative to do. We should, we should never withhold forgiveness. We can withhold privileges, maybe, but not forgiveness. Um, in other words, let's say that uh, you have a child who's done something wrong, and uh, you, you have um, created consequences for that action, and you can totally forgive your child. Let's say they did something um, extremely bad. Perhaps they stole something from you. Um, you know, my tendency for something like that would be to get angry. And uh, God has not given me that prerogative. I can, I can be angry at the sin, but I need to be able to forgive the, the sinner and to forgive the person who's done the wrong. Now, we've set up some consequences for that. We can carry out the consequences, but we can still be forgiving in our spirit. You can still um, you can forgive and still hold someone accountable. Um, you can also forgive and leave a relationship where there's abuse. Some people have uh, confused um, this, this whole thing and have stayed in abusive relationships where God's um, intent was for that never to happen. Let me give you an example from the life of Paul of how this uh, looked for him. He was um, on numerous occasions brought before magistrates and government rulers and um, them wanting to exact punishment on him. In one case, in the book of Acts, he was about to be whipped for something he had not done. And um, he calls out before they're um, getting ready to whip him, and he says, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen? And um, so he uses his citizenship to get out of a beating. I think that in the case of abuse, where abuse is going on in a relationship, God, God's will is not for you to continue to um, be in that relationship and allow an abusive person to take advantage of you. You can forgive that abusive person, but you can leave the relationship and remove yourself to a safe situation so that the abuse stops. Allowing abuse to continue is not acting in love towards the abuser. And um, you can forgive that person and you can have a, you can work on a clean spirit towards them and you can pray for them 
from a distance, but not be in the relationship where the abuse will continue. I'd like for us to just go back to the main point before we leave this today. This is such a powerful teaching. And um, I'd like for us to leave not so much on the exceptions to forgiveness, but on the rule for forgiveness. And the rule is this, we have been forgiven much. And because we've been forgiven much, we also need to forgive others much. That's, that's the rule and that's the pattern for our lives. And so I wanna encourage you and I wanna encourage myself to heed the words of the Lord. Um, these are the words of Jesus. And uh, would you join me in prayer as we close our study today? Thank you, Lord, for not allowing something so significant to slip by us, for um, loving us enough to point out the great disparity between the forgiveness you give us and the forgiveness that we sometimes begrudge others. You've forgiven us so much. You paid such a high price for our forgiveness, the death of your son. And no matter what we face from others, we've never faced anything to that degree. Lord, we just pray that you will help us in our forgiveness of others to take on the spirit of Christ and to forgive in, his, in the spirit of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name.